What's the law on what you can and cannot say on a billboard? I assume you can't say nothing defamatory and you can't say fuck, piss, or c***. that right? Or anus? I think I'll be all right then. Plot Points Podcast, Mark Takes a Dive, and we engage in gallows humor while we look at three billboards. Let's start over. One more time, one more time, one more time, one more time. Okay. You got it. On this week's Plot Points Podcast, Mark Takes a Dive, and we engage in gallows humor while we look at three billboards. This is Plot Points Podcast. Perfect. with Plot Points Podcast. It's a kind of a gray day here in Orange County, um, and we're actually getting some maybe some rain this week, which is kind of for Southern California in May. They call this May Gray and then June Gloom, and then Hell, I think, is uh, the, the term for July, August, and September. But um, I'm with um, a great group today. We have uh, Mr. Jeff Lyons. Say hello, Jeffy. Hello, Jeffy. <laughs> That's, that's oldie but goodie, let me tell you. Uh, <laughs> works every time. It works every, exactly. We have Miss um, Michelle Manu, who's back with us. Good morning. Hi, Michelle. Hi. And of course, uh, my my uh, stalwart uh, co-host, Toby Walwork. Good morning. I was going to say hello, Jeffy, too, but I already got the laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll introduce you next, so you, and I'll say hi, Toby, so you can, you can do that. It doesn't work with Toby as well as it does Jeffy, though. So. That, just say Jeffy. I'm, I'll play ball. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll jump in before him next time. Just, just step all over him. So, um, so we have, um, we have a lot to talk about. I, I want to start the podcast by mentioning some of the things that are coming up for OC screenwriters, and uh, we'll cover it again um, at some point in the future on this podcast. But on June 2nd, which is a Saturday morning afternoon, uh, 12 to 3.30 at the Claim Jumper in Fountain Valley, we have the filmmakers who did the movie The Gallows. Um, they have a really great story to tell because they – they micro. They did a micro budget film, uh, basically shot it themselves in a I don't know a, a warehouse or an auditorium. It was picked up by uh, Warner Brothers and turn and they sweetened it and then uh, they got picked up again by Bloomhouse, which is a great um, horror horror house um, production company. So they're going to be telling us about their journey. They're excited to come down. Actually, one of them is from. Uh, Orange County went to Newport Harbor High and Cal State Fullerton, two really great schools. And so uh, he's familiar with this area. Anyway, they're coming down on June 2nd to talk to OC Screenwriters. It's a luncheon. You can get the information uh, at ocscreenwriters.com and uh, register for the event. It'll, it should be great. I, I can't wait to talk to these guys. They're very, very um, accessible, very knowledgeable about the process. So 
And then on June 20th, um, OC Film and Television has um, Frank Chindamo uh, coming. He's considered uh, a new media guru. He's going to tell you how, how to get your material out without getting an agent or a manager, in other words, going viral. And he has a couple uh, – he, he consults – he teaches at Cal State Fullerton, consults for USC Film. Um, he's got a whole bunch of credits and stuff. He's really a great presentation. Toby, were you were you there with with us for Frank? Were you able to? No, for, for uh, Frank, I was in Chicago. That was uh, I was really looking forward to that event too. Well, you, it, it we won't have the um, the at the the OC Film and Television event at C Three Vape and Coffee is not quite as conducive to a classroom situation. But Frank's an amazing teacher, very dynamic. Um, he just kind of blew us away with uh, with his presentation. He's he's really comfortable talking to people about this, so it should be great. And then on July 28th, so far, we have Kristen D'Alessio, who also is an independent filmmaker, whose movie Alex and the List just came out with uh, Jennifer Morin, Morrison and uh, Patrick Fugit, right, Toby? That's the guy? Fugit, that's the guy. Yeah. I think it's Fugit, not Fugit, but okay. uh, I'd have to ask him if I ever met him. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Anyway, so that's kind of the business uh, of uh, of what we're we're looking at with the OC screenwriters, OC film and television, um, and um, we've we've been pretty busy. It's been very uh, the, the the events on Wednesdays have been I just think really dynamic. They're very incredible. I I loved it. And Michelle's going to talk a little bit about those that event because she was there uh, this past Wednesday. Uh, want to talk a little bit about uh, is anybody watching anything uh, interesting that they want to share or or we'll talk about what we're working on in just a minute but are you got anybody watching anything that uh, that they want to mention yeah um, I actually went back and um, I'm re-watching Penny Dreadful oh yeah that was a great pilot oh my god that was oh it was great oh. Um, but I'm seeing it's really interesting how these shows get themselves into pickles and then have to figure out how they're going to get out of it. And they did a pretty good job. Penny Dreadful, but they totally shift from, um, uh, you know, the, the, the main characters of season, season one into season two, shifting it all over to another character. Um, and they do it pretty seamlessly, you know, in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the, in the last, in the last season, you know, with the with old Dracula with some plot going on, they, uh, gets much more ensemble. Um, and it's really fascinating to see how these writing, these writing teams scramble to find their rhythm when they run out of a line. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really, really interesting. Uh, yeah, that I I remember seeing the first uh, uh, the pilot, and I think I watched the second one. I really was stunned by the uh, by Penny Dreadful. I really oh, it's great. Yeah, great. Um, uh, Toby, you watching anything interesting, or you just been? Uh, um, overwhelmed? Well, yeah. We, since uh, we just finished Upfronts, so it was kind of a you know. It was like picking up after an earthquake around the office. You know, it's like we just muscled through. I did go and see Infinity War on, um, geez, I think it was like Thursday night. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, obviously I won't do a review or get into spoilers or anything like that. But uh, if, if I mean, unfortunately, it's definitely got like the built-in audience. You know exactly what you're getting. 
it is exactly that. But you you know, they really I really felt they were trying. I don't think they were just like uh, giving you the same old, same old. And um, Marvel's been, in my opinion, pretty consistently good. They've had a couple of missteps, but this one is definitely um, definitely one of the good ones. Um, it was it was pretty bold, and uh, they do a lot of things to assure the audience that uh, the, the firmament is not as established as you might think, mm-hmm. and 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 that is is very refreshing. Mm. Yeah, there's a. I read an interesting article by Film School on the FilmSchoolRejects.com website, uh, titled "How Marvel Broke Storytelling," and it's not a it's not a glowing uh, article in any any way, shape, or form. Uh, it's by John DeLillo, and it was it came out today, I think, or a couple of days ago. Anyway, I don't necessarily agree with what he's saying, but I can see where. Uh, I mean, there's filmmakers like Cameron and and Spielberg. Uh, you know, they're kind of saying the genre is over and nobody should, you know, we shouldn't be doing all these comic book movies, but it's hard to discount billion dollar, you know, box office movies. They're, they're kicking ass. So, um, I don't think it's over by any long shot. And I don't actually think it broke storytelling, although their point about Infinity War, and, and maybe you can comment on this, was that you're not you're not paying attention to this movie you're thinking already about the the uh, about whatever the part 2 is um actually that's that's a, that is a very fair uh, observation because um even though originally infinity war was was going to be two films mm-hmm. and uh and it was infinity war part 1 and 2 and then they decided that they would get all of infinity war in part 1 but but it definitely does there definitely is like a part two, like mm. it, this, this it's, it is, it is um, after uh, to a certain extent, there's definitely a cliffhanger. There's definitely unfinished business. Mm-hmm. There's unsettled disputes that have to be resolved more so than in other films. Like with, with civil war, they do kind of leave things in a, in kind of a broken place, you know, like uh, the Iron Man and, and Captain America conflict. They're not friends anymore, but you know that in the Marvel universe, everybody has to be friends again. So you know that they do have to come back together Infinity War definitely spends a lot of time breaking things mm-hmm. um, for for a certain for a particular purpose. You know, there's 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 fan service, but it's not condescending, and I I really had a great time. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard nothing but glowing reports about it. So, um, Michelle, darling, do you have do you have any time at all to watch uh, anything, or you you basically go from <laughs> event to event and then home and go to bed? Or- yeah, that's pretty much my life. I, I wish I had time. And, and until my daughter and my grandsons moved back in, there wasn't a TV in the house. So I hate oh. to say that, but it's really true. I irony to do things on TV and not be able to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, maybe maybe we'll have you pick uh, a top ten, your top ten favorite martial arts films or something for the future for a future podcast. Okay. Uh, if you're up for that. So I'll give you a, mm-hmm. some advance warning. Um, and, and it would be interesting to hear your list because I certainly have watched a lot, but I'm not, I'm not one of those that watch it, watch martial arts films constantly, but they're kind of like comic book movies, right? I mean, they, they get a lot of bad rap and they get a lot of overexposure, but man, they're fun. Oh, I, I agree. And, and I, uh, I would love to talk about that because I'm a, a martial arts movie freak. Well, you're you're and you're also back oh, in martial cool, arts, Jeff. right, Jeff? Huh? You're you're back in martial arts, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, that would for a future well, podcast. I think it just depends on what you're looking for. 
as far as oh, sorry no no that's okay go ahead as far yeah, as yeah i mean if you're looking for some really like yeah cult like you know really cool fight scenes or are you looking for the comedy within the supposed drama you know, mm-hmm. is the drama really great? That's why the, like, you know, Toby was talking about the large budget movies, um, you know, such as The Last Samurai. I mean, there's actually a really great story there also. Oh, so good. All that's right. what well, you're looking for. Yeah, we're looking <laughs> forward. I mean, one of my favorites of recent time was Ip Man about uh, the, with uh, Don, mm-hmm. Don right. Yen. Oh, man. That, the, the second one was different, but the first one was <laughs> blew me away. So he's really, really good. Person. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, and I'm I'm just I'm kind of regurgitating stuff that uh, as far as watching that I've been I, I haven't really broke any new ground. The only things I've I've watched new is a documentary called Nazi Megastructures, which was which is always a fascination hmm. for me, and something called The Race Underground, which is about building the first subway in Boston. Uh, in I don't remember what year it was, but um, I, I've kind of been going sideways on my stuff, just watching stuff. <laughs> so anyway. All right. Um, what are we working on? Uh, what are we writing or working on? It doesn't have to be necessarily writing. Um, myself, I've got a lot of stuff going on, but I'm going to, I'm going to wait and listen to you guys so I can be like top you. you no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> no, no. I, I would rather hear what you guys are working on than regurgitate. Again, regurg- the word regurgitate comes up on my stuff. So Jeff or Michelle or Toby, anybody want to jump in? Uh, Jeff, um, go ahead, Jeff. Um, same, same, same stuff as last time. <laughs> well, that's still interesting. Uh, I mean, actually, actually, I'm, 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 I, I, for the next three or four weeks, I'm like just buried with, um, and it's a, it's, it's a definitely a first world problem. <laughs> um, every year I, 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 I teach the story development class for the Producers Guild of America. Oh, yeah. Power of Diversity Producers Workshop, which is one of the oldest fellow, fellowships in Hollywood. And this year, I'm, I'm actually going to be mentoring um, 10 different writing teams on their scripts. And that's what I'm doing right this, this right now. You know, for the next three weeks, I'm going to be meeting with everybody and just working on their, on their uh, scripts that they're trying to get through the Producers Workshop uh, at the PGA. So, wow. It's a lot of fun, a lot of work, but it's uh, really something. When you say teams, do you mean uh, individual writers who ha- have partners? or no, What happens, this is a producing workshop. It's not a writing workshop. Oh, right. Okay. So the, the, the producers are more creative producers, and they, everybody works in the industry. You know, that's the thing about that particular workshop. You've got to be in the industry. Okay. So um, they they – they're already working in production. They're already producing many of them. Um, and the, they're either writing original uh, uh, specs or original pilots, or they're working with writers outside of the workshop. Mm-hmm. And they brought that project into the workshop to be, to be workshopped. Mm. So um, most of them, many of them are writers, but most of them are more, you know, production producing focused. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a little different than like one of the writing fellowships. Wow, I'd like to. That's I'd like great. To, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Was, no, I think it's great. It yeah, sounds, um, amazing. Yeah, oh, it's a great program. It's a great program. Well, let's uh, let's plan on a future cast to talk a little bit because obviously you'll be involved in this for a while, right? Yeah, it's my. This is my. This is my seventh year. But I mean, um, how long wow. does your does your mentorship last with these with these people? 
Um, well, it's 10 projects. So, you know, it's like, um, we, we get, we don't have a whole lot of time. So it's like, I read a script over the day, over a, a day, day and a half. And then I just figure out what's going on. And then we meet and we do a zoom session basically. And I just walk them through high level, really high level notes about structure and, mm-hmm. and, and they had this year, they've got five TV projects. So TV is like really becoming, um, a huge part of the, of the, uh, the product that they're working on. So we did a lot on TV writing mm-hmm. and I, I go in and I talk about act outs and, you know, act, act structures and mm-hmm. half hour versus hour and, you know, how the TV writing piece of it's just so different. Um, so, and, and that's a real eye opener for a lot of people because they don't, they don't know that networks have very particular standards when it comes to how they want the script structured, you know, even, even shows that don't even networks that don't use commercial breaks want you to write, with act outs and acts. So interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to circle back around to this, uh, at, at some future podcast. Cause I'd like to hear a little bit more detail. And, uh, Michelle, wh- you're every time I look, you're going somewhere, but, uh, what are you working on? <laughs> yeah. On autopilot, I, you know, just got it all in my GPS and just hit one to the next. But <laughs> you know, it was really interesting this week. I was able to meet with, um, a Filipino guru, Matau, um, and he just got back from Russia, and he was really talking about the similarities, uh, obviously, of physics and the way that we move, but he said that they're really interested in other arts across the world, and he said, you know, I did some research. I know your teacher did a book, but it's Mm -hmm. more like a police manual. Are you interested in just putting down the basics of your art? And so now that's something else it really needs to be done because no one has done it and mm-hmm. to perpetuate the culture through the art it's it's it means nothing to other people but it's extremely important and i don't know if anyone else is really going to do it so it's another uh thing on my list and so, so the list is growing that and the path of the oh go ahead mark well would this be a uh like a how-to book or, a, I mean, what kind of book would you be doing? Would it have pictures? Would it be mostly about the philo- philosophy? What, how, what's the scope of it? Do you have an idea? Yeah, I'm going to try to keep it to 100 pages, um, uh-huh. but that's going to be difficult with photos. Uh, right. You know, Talk about the weight distribution within stances, um, even punches and locks and breaks, um, mm-hmm. setting the opponent up. You know, and as well as putting in some historical information, the art from the beginning of time, which is the Kui'e Lua, to my teacher and the Kaivalu Lua. So tying those together and the roles of the, the, male, the males and the females um, and how it progressed over the years, um, you know, pre-missionary, you know, post-missionary and where we are today. Wow. So I want to put that in there. It can't be too much. Just give them a taste. But it's got to be more about the actual body movement. Uh, and how we bring our opponents in and then we pretty much eat them and consume them and put them in the pit. <laughs> so it, it probably needs to be done. Cause you look at, you know, the Bruce Lee's and the, the older Kung Fu manuscripts out there, the, the smaller books, and those are still referenced today. I hope to do something similar to that. Well, what always fascinates me about you and Lua in general is uh, the storytelling aspects of the art, which when, you know, my, my teacher, Sensei Dai, uh, has, you know, some training in Lua. And, um, you know, he's always talking about the bite and the dolphin and the whale tail. So all your movements and all your, 
all your um, holds and stuff have been, uh, what would you call it? Like, uh, not anthropomorphized, but like uh, they all have, they're symbol, they're symbolic. And so one of these days, I'd yeah, like to they talk are. About that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. No, I mean, no, I, they emulate animal. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. We're having we're having li- okay. uh, latency problems apparently, but go ahead, Michelle. Uh, I apologize for the no. delay, but no, they uh, we emulate like a hula dancer emulates um, animals as well mm-hmm. as nature elements, and mm-hmm. so if you convert those to actual contacts, that's really what you're looking at. It's not. Like I said, you know, in the last podcast, it's not just all touristy hula. It is actually pretty deadly. And then the open hand was, you know, for the the ancient. And then when the military started to be formed under the king, then the weaponry came in. I see. The formations, the deployment of, yeah, the warriors and how they attacked. The strategy was then refined. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, we do emulate all of those movements. Um, yeah, I just find – I find the uh, – Im- when I'm I'm a big Joseph Campbell fan and I find the imagery – uh, in Hawaiian martial arts to be very interesting because they're based in earth elements in, in nature, that animistic idea. And that to me is fascinating because it, it translates visually or symbolically to our world and our storytelling uh, aspects. Uh, so, okay, we're going to, mm-hmm. so that's another thing we got to talk about down the road uh, perhaps is, uh, is a little bit more, getting more detail about uh, hula uh, and, you know, and uh, lua and what it is. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. So, Tobe. Tobe's um, turn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, actually, uh, I was playing around with something. Actually, uh, I was um, I was reading up a little bit on the fountain uh, markup language for screenplay writing. Oh. Um, and so I, I did like an exercise because I found a, a couple of different plugins that will convert regular unformatted text. And this, f- for the uninitiated, um, we all recognize that Final Draft is the industry standard for screenplay writing, and, and if you're going to sell anything and deliver anything, it'll have to be what's called an FDX folder, uh, Final Draft. But um, to get started, you can work with things like uh, Celtics, and uh, and basically, you know, I mean, if you know how to use uh, Microsoft Word, and you can just set the, the 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 tabs. But there's this thing called Fountain Markup Language, and it was devised by uh, John August, who's a screenwriter, mm-hmm. because. Um, he, he was really trying to like find a way to overcome the the hurdles to screenwriting because you oh. know basically if someone tells you you can only screenwrite in Final Draft and you don't have two hundred dollars you think well I'm done <laughs> and that's not really true but um, it, it's it's a way to like keep it very mobile and portable so basically you can write in any kind of text. Um, application, uh, Mac, PC, your phone, whatever you got, mm-hmm. and then you run it through, but you write it sort of in this very easy to memorize um, markup language. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying it just for fun, and I came up with this idea that I've been kicking around with a friend of mine, and uh, so currently I'm working on a, uh, it's an animated movie uh, about giant robots in feudal Japan. And uh, it's also an allegory about uh, the rise of millennials. So it's very complicated. <laughs> uh, and it may or may not have anything to do with anything. But uh, that's, that's, what I was, that's what I was working on a, a little bit this week. And oh. I was really having a lot of fun with it. Well, Toby, you know, I know that that uh, strange and wonderful mind of yours can go to those places. <laughs> I'll be interested to see if you can deliver on anything of that. that that's amazing. Wow. Uh, we should explain markup language. All it means is 
uh, it's a way to delineate like uh, hypertext markup language is HTML so that you, you use these codes to set, to do certain things like bold and italics. And well, what I'll do, uh, it's fountain.io, <clears throat> excuse me, is the, um, is the URL. So I'll put that in the show notes, but that's definitely very interesting. So thanks for that. That's I never heard of it. Mm -hmm. before. All right. Well, and for me, I had a really interesting weekend last weekend. I'll just mention this is what I'm working on. I'm not really working on it anymore, but I got a call from a producer on Thursday. Um, he sent me a script uh, that night. I met with them on Friday, signed contracts and rewrote his script on Saturday, basically, and Monday because uh, Sunday was was kind of packed because of Mother's Day and stuff. But it it was a really great experience because um, when we get into the event review, I'll, I'll mention this also. But it, you know, when you when you're not working um, on a project, you tend to start to doubt your abilities. You, you know, you're working in a vacuum, and so you don't really you're not really testing it against anything. And I didn't know if I was capable. Of delivering this script, I I made him give me until Thursday, which would have been a couple of days ago, but I finished it Monday at four o'clock uh, complete. It was it and it was I thought it was pretty good. I mean, um, he he was thrilled, uh, and the reason is it had to be done so quickly is because <laughs> I shouldn't say what the first thing on my mind is, but um, uh, he just he was in he was in pre production and his actors were supposed to start they were supposed to start shooting this week. So he needed some mm -hmm. rehearsal time. They hadn't seen any of the script yet. Um, and so it had to be done in enough time to get uh, everybody on board for either a read-through or rehearsals or whatever. Now I hear he's putting it off for a couple weeks. So <clears throat> it actually did not have to be done by Monday or Tuesday or even even today. Uh, he could have done it at any time, but or we could have worked on it a little bit longer. But he's happy. It's a it's a really interesting proposition. It's a two-set script. It's uh, two offices, basically, 10 characters, um, really interesting scenario he came up with. He just unfortunately didn't – he had some problems with uh, – with, I mean, when you write – he's not a writer. Well, I shouldn't say he's not a writer. He is a writer, but not really. He doesn't write a lot. And so, uh, anyway, that's what I worked on last weekend, and – this week, I kind of got a lead on a uh, on one of my TV pilots, so it's you know that's been it's been a good week for me or good couple of weeks for me. So it's very exciting. I mean, first, like you said, you had this this sort of uh, for, forced uh, marathon that really kind of boosts your confidence. You know, it's it's a absolutely a very quick turnaround, and 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 then you know when people talk about how things lead to things uh and and even though these two these two items weren't related the fact that you were kind of riding high off that that workout and then something something else good comes along and and it's just like well there you go you know you you kind of put things out into the universe and reminds the universe that you're still there yeah yeah i was high off of writing endorphins go figure i mean <laughs> Michelle, we mm -hmm. uh, had you as part of a presentation on Wednesday at the C3 Vape and Coffee Shop. Um, unfortunately, Toby was working. <clears throat> Jeff, I don't. Jeff was probably up in LA. I'm not sure, but I I had such a great time. I mean, we had um, we had Tiana Lee and her mom on, and then you came you you came up and did uh, what I think about a half hour, forty minutes of. Uh, some demos and stuff like that. So, I mean, what did you, this is, this was your first 
you were you were both a an audience member and a participant. How how'd you think it went? Well, I, I love sitting back and listening to Tiana and on speak and bring their perspective and how they just persist. I think mm. it's really helpful to everyone, including um, writers, to know what these actors go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and not taking it personally was a really um, a big ch- like bite for me to take home. Not that I struggle with that, but I see a lot of my friends struggle with this um, when they work in any aspect of the industry. Mm-hmm. And so to see a 15-year-old that you know, generally, when, you know, 15-year-old young ladies will take everything personally. <laughs> to see her just kind of sh- shoulder shrug and for them to speak about how they're leaving an audition and they know that it didn't go well and they don't speak about it because right. there's nothing that they can really do to make it any better, change how it went, it's over. And I think it's just like a parable for life for me when, you know, we have such a hard time um, letting go of certain things that mm. events or people that happen and uh, they actually do this surrendering constantly with all of her auditions that she goes through. So I have no doubt that she's going to do and continue to do something great in the mm-hmm. industry. And hopefully she will continue to stay true to her integrity and what's important to her because I'm sure she's beautiful. She's very mature for her age. I'm sure she's going to be offered some opportunities that you know really don't fall in line with um, what she stands for. Mm-hmm. And so I'm hoping she will stand strong and, take only those roles um, and unfortunately forfeit work and staying true to her path. So mm. I, I just loved listening to both of them. And, and didn't you like love what on was saying too about having to be the hovering mother right. there? Right. Yeah. Mama bear is, uh, is definitely large and in charge when it comes to protecting uh, Tiana. But at the same time, she's got this wonderful capability of allowing Tiana to go out there and make her own mistakes which I think is incredible. It's, it's got to be, it, I don't know if they were born that way or that <laughs> developed over the last, uh, how many years uh, she's been in the business, but um, they were both uh, incredible. Tobe, you sh- it, it, I think you really would have enjoyed the, the, the presentation of, with these two. And then I know you've already commented on this, but I know you, you appreciated the fact that I got my ass kicked by Michelle. So <laughs> I, I did my, my one disappointment and the photographs are on the, the Facebook page and, uh, and, and they're, they're, they're beautifully composed they're well framed, but they're not video. And, uh, yeah. Mark, a favor, if you're going to get beat up again, yes, please make, make sure there's video, a couple cameras because, <laughs> yeah. Because what what I think people aren't necessarily understanding is is I didn't hear you crying. Oh my god! I, yeah. And, oh my and you god. know the photos tell one story, but you know your screams of agony would have told another. Story. <laughs> well, let me tell you. First of all, uh, before Michelle continues, I she, I was in the hands of a true master. Um, the first technique we did, <clears throat> she said, "Oh, you're so stiff," and I said, "Well." I didn't realize she was going to take me down to the floor because it's a wooden floor. We had about one foot of space and I've never done anything like this. So, so I just said, okay, F it. I'm going to leave myself in her hands. And boy, that's both a good and a bad idea with her because she bopped me a couple of times with that wooden paddle. When the first time she said, throw a punch, I threw a punch and she racked my knuckles with that, with whatever she was holding. I don't know. Everything's wood and everything hurts, but, um, it was fun. I had such a great time, and Michelle is a true, a consummate 
Uh, I mean, I, I've been with uh, black belts like this before, and boy, you are really good. So Okay, I just need to chime in just in case any of the listeners were late to the uh, podcast. Mark's describing uh, an encounter with a martial art expert, and this is not just the worst table read of an adult film ever. <laughs> because if you, if you go back and listen to what you just said, Mark, it, it, it really sounds like, uh, you know, like I'm reading uh, like bad dialogue. Adult films for beginners. <laughs> this is bad lip reading or what do they call that thing where they put the uh, – anyway, yeah. Um, anyway, Michelle, so uh, the demonstration, you were there to talk about your art, your Lua and your Hula both because uh, Hula tells the story and Lua delivers the message, I guess, is what uh, what I would – the way I would put it. But hmm. I enjoyed I enjoyed it quite a bit. We'll, we'll definitely have you back and, and give you uh, – more time to, uh, uh, you know, I may be missing that, uh, that day though. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Um, so anyway, I mean, how did you feel everything went that, uh, the Wednesday night thing? I, I thought it was very, very, a lot of good energy, a lot of, uh, good. I'll tell you, I have to tell you that Tiana and on were ma- amazing. They, their, their, um, their presence was very well received. Mm-hmm. They had the people in the crowd just going, but I got when when Michelle when you got up on stage you had them rolling in the aisles because you brought some great pictures of you in uh, obvious distress on the set of a certain like your your, your poor boot that you trashed and uh, um, unfortunately she she brought um, she brought some costume malfunctions nothing that would be obscene but just things yeah. that broke and things that went wrong so uh, but and that's a part of what you do right that's that's mm-hmm. got to go out there and do that. Yeah, I, I spoke on several things. So I didn't want to just go up there and, you know, show technique, although right. that says so much. It's powerful. And pe- I think people can see the animals and nature elements within the movements. Mm-hmm. So I save that for the end. But I, I really want to talk about, you know, what it's like as, you know, just we're all human. We all have our challenges. And so to speak about some of those and preparedness, the time it takes, mm-hmm. um, nutrition, not just like protein bars, but like, you know, I spoke about filming over a weekend, uh, what was it? 17.75 hours in two days and having to, I mean, it's just tremendous three hours away from home and, you know, having to time out my meals and make individual meals. And then, you know, at all times knowing your stuff, trusting who you're working with, but also, you know, being aware, um, showing respect in in all situations to everyone, even including the craft services lady or Mm. gentleman, uh, you know, uh, responding to impromptu requests, um, and this is where that insecurity can get into us because if we're put on a timeline, we're asked to do something immediately, we have to trust that we're enough. Mm. We have to trust that we have within us at that moment exactly what they're asking for. And sometimes it's unreasonable, but you know that you can meet that request and just signing up for it and just saying, yes, of course, I'll try. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, setting your intention so that you, it narrows your path so you're not kind of distracted with the shiny stuff on the sides <laughs> that you kind of, you know, get derailed and go on to right. another path, losing your full intention. Um, breaking through the self-limiting, uh, re- you know, your the, the things in your mind that say, oh, I can't do this or so-and-so is better. The predator, I call it, it kind of is always trying to kind of buff us down. Mm. Um, breaking through that by experiencing new things and um, just having fun. We mm-hmm. absolutely have to have fun. It changes our entire energetic makeup. And we find that we then have endless energy to, you know, continue in whatever we're doing at that moment or project by project. Switching gears here, I want to just touch on something you said. People don't realize what a physical toll filming takes on people. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're long days. They're 12-hour days sometimes with, 
with with very few breaks and you don't you, your normal life is just upended i don't know i don't know how you do it i don't know especially if you have to deliver physically as a stunt woman which you do uh how you maintain that energy and that uh and that because uh, once you get tired you lose control you start to lose control a little bit of control right yeah and so does the person that's opposite from you so it's being very careful um about that, you know, right. and then there's just the elements, you know, I'm in four inch boots and I'm in dirt. That's probably two inches high. So yeah. there's really, you know, I mean, it looks cool in slow-mo. Every time I move, there's like dirt that goes flying. So, but at the same time, my God, it's, it's, it's like working out in the sand with so right. it's, it's in heels. Yeah. It's different, but it, you know, I mean, kudos to everybody. You know, if you guys start the process, you bring that story to life, others envision it. And then to, to actually finish a project in the industry is just tremendous. Mm. I mean, to see it up there and, you know, available to us in its final, such a task and mm -hmm. talk about energy. You know, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a, I, I always say that any, any movie is a, is a minor miracle there. It's uh there's so many hands and so many moving parts. Toby knows this. He's mm -hmm. been on and Jeff too. You know, you, mm -hmm. you guys have done many productions and it's, it's always a, it's always a challenge getting it from a writer's mind to a person's screen. It's just insane. Upcoming events, uh, we've got uh, Frank Chindamo, and uh, Frank is Frank is uh, an authority, an expert, uh, a great guy about talking about the, the DIY. Mm. Um, if you've got the motivation to make something, but you don't have uh, the contacts or the access to uh, a manager, an agent, if you're not really sure what those people are for and what they're going to do for you, uh, Frank, Frank talks about doing it for yourself. And he's, he's, uh, you know, he, he loves YouTube and, and all of that kind of thing. And, and those, are, those are things that everyone has access to. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he's really going know, to – I know from the, what I heard from the last event that he was at, uh, he's really going to give folks some ideas. Um, basically, I think so much of what these events do is we really want to take away the, the barriers and the excuses that have stopped folks mm -hmm. from doing this stuff until now and saying like, look, you got a phone, you got a camera, you got a camera, you got an idea, you got a story, you got a movie, you just haven't done it. And, um, and that's, that's true about so much of uh, in life, but, but we're, we're going to fix all of that. Uh, oh, we're going to try, we're going to try. Yeah. One Wednesday a month, we're going to fix the entire universe. Yeah, and that's, that's July 20th. That's, that's, uh, yeah. but we, before that, we have the, the, the guys for the gallows, which is Oh, I, yeah, I, com I completely forgot because I was, I was thinking about Frank. The gallows thing, actually, I did get quite a few people on, on Reddit were asking me about it uh, because the, the gallows brothers, and I don't have their names in front of me because they're not the gallows brothers. They're these two guys. That is well, that's, that's why copy and paste is going to destroy the world because I've <laughs> – copy, paste, copy, paste. <laughs> not even reading it anymore but those two guys they made this movie the gallows like if you can look this up their story has been told because these are the guys that we say they did the impossible they said we don't know anybody in hollywood we don't know this we don't know that but we're not going to let that stop us we make a movie mm. and they're going to come in they're going to tell us how they did it and right. it doesn't sit on their coffee table uh you know like uh that was a mistake no they they did it and they kept going with it All right, thanks, Toby. Pretty, uh, the script we're reviewing today uh, is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, which was a uh, uh, – not only I think the script and the film were nominated for Best Picture, Best Script. Um, and it's, it's a really well-done, 
script and a really well done movie. I, I don't know, Toby or, or Jeff, if you would agree with that. Um, I'm assuming yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think we're all in, in awe of some of this, uh, some of the, uh, <clears throat> the, the techniques that are used here. So we'll just go through it. The script we're using, um, I believe, is the one that they put out for Academy Award nomination or consideration. And I will, um, I will leave a link on the website or a place where you can go and get it. It's, a, it's, it's, it's widely available, though. They're, I think they're getting to the point where they realize that fan, fans really want to see some of this stuff. So they're releasing these things uh, a lot more than they used to. The, um, the story is about um, a, a woman who is upset about the lack of progress on her daughter's um, crime, uh, the case against uh, that her daughter is raped and, and burned, I think. And um, she's, she's very upset about the idea <clears throat> that there's no progress on the case. And so it, it's kind of an odd uh, duck. It's very uh, interesting storyline, but I've never seen anything quite like it. Um, I don't know where the idea came from, but I think it's brilliant. And so Frances McDormand plays, um, what's her name, Mildred? Yep. Um, and um, there's, uh, there's some really, the Sam Rockwell plays Dixon. And Red, not Red, um, who's the, the sheriff is um, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. Yeah. Woody Harrelson. And what is his character name? Willoughby, right? Yeah. yeah. No, no, the town is Willoughby. Mm. Oh, no, no, the town is Ebbing. Yeah, right. I guess he, yeah, he's Willoughby. Bill Willoughby. Right. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's Willoughby. Yeah, it's a, it's a Twilight Zone episode that has Willoughby in it. That's why. I'm. Right. Next, next stop, yeah. Willoughby. That's a great one. <laughs> wow, that's, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so the setup Big, is. Big Young. Big, oh, Big right. Young, yeah. Yeah, he was an interesting guy. He, he didn't, he was one of those guys who, well, never mind. All right, let's not get off. <laughs> um, Anyway, so uh, the, the scene numbered on the script, which is, uh, this is obviously not a, what you do when you're writing a script, but once it's in pre-production uh, and they lock the script and they start to shoot it or they start to storyboard it, then you go into the scene, head, uh, the numbering of the scenes. But the first page, the first page is, um, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, the setup is pretty cool. There's a, she, Mildred is driving along a road and uh, sees a bill. It's, they call, he calls it in the script Billboard Row, Road, which is not the right name for it. It's uh, I can't remember what it is, but um, drink water. But anyway, she stops and she looks at these old um, billboards, and there's three in a row. And we don't know what she's doing, which creates great suspense, I thought, um, right away. And it says, uh, she said, uh, she makes a mental note of ebbing billboard advertising, then drives on again, leaving the three old billboards alone like tombstones on a dusty road, which I thought was a great description. Um, then she goes to the, the, the people who own the advertising company, and the guy's name is Red. And so that's on the first and second page is the kind of the basis of the story, which is I thought was amazing. The the economy that they get to the, um, you know, right to it. We find out what she wants. We're set up to to want to know what she wants, and then it's delivered almost immediately. Did you guys like that? Yeah, I I did actually. Um, I think we talked about this a little earlier before the Academy Awards this year. I tried mm-hmm. to win all. I tried to read all the nominated scripts. This was my favorite, and it is so. Um, but to use your term, so so economic, mm-hmm. and it gets right to it. And um, you know, not giving too much away. I think the script is actually slightly better than the film mm-hmm. uh, as far as as far as the points it's making. 
Mm-hmm. And and it's uh yeah, I mean this this is this is really a great script to read over and, and try to apply some of those lessons to your own work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one thing I, I I there's a scene on the second page where Mildred is with Red, who is the owner of the company for the billboards, and she's negotiating uh, to to buy these billboards for a year. And there's a beetle that she notices on the windowsill upside down, and it's just left there for for a while while she's talking to Red. And at the end of the second page, she turns it over and and sets it free. It can't get up. And and I thought that was an incredible moment of. We talk about uh, focusing your characters by kissing the baby and kicking the dog. And even though she's very sarcastic and acerbic, she says, uh, uh, quick, ain't you, Welby? Um, you know, she, she's very, she's not, a nice, she's not a nice person, but you can tell that her heart is always in the right place because of that. I think that one gesture just says so much, and it's a very visual way to get that across without having to, you know, go into a lot of detail. Uh, the fact that she cares that much about a little beetle that's stuck on the windowsill is, I think, very telling. Yeah, that that, that caught me as well. And and but I, th- I think the, I think it goes beyond that. I think it's it's a character window for sure. But it also sends uh, a message about the show itself, which is that she's there to set things right. Ah, that's interesting. That's a that's a great take. No, that's really the metaphor, and but it's also a character window. So. Yeah. Because she's pissed off. Her kid got killed, you know. Oh, my so God, she, yeah. She's going after these people, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, go ahead, I, I, Well, I think also the fact that it's a beetle uh, is, is it's, it's, not a, it's not a cute thing. And I think that, I think that Mildred, like for me, I, as, a, as a character window, um, restoring this not pretty thing, definitely because I think Mildred feels sort of, Mildred is also very much like a beetle. She's not pretty, but she's a thing. You know, she she has a place in the world, and the world is done. You know, her world is flipped over, turned upside down, and what have you. And I think there was kind of a uh, that she is the the beetle is like the little guy, mm-hmm. and 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 so as she, her attitude towards that is just that things are against the little guy, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. the rest of the film does kind of reflect that. Yeah, that was one of the things I took. Uh, most from this film was it felt it felt like these characters were a family a dysfunctional family as opposed to a group of disparate characters who were just in a in a story um you know you can tell that they they don't like each other at times but they care for each other and uh even though there's some tragedy between them they're they're really interesting uh, the, the familial relationship, I thought, was really interesting. And I don't know how you achieve that because I think that's probably one of the hardest things to do in a script is to make the people real and make their interactions between each other seem real. And uh, this was definitely accomplished. Um, on page three and four, this is this kind of introduces Dixon, who's a dick. I mean, Sam Rockwell plays his character to a T, but he's not a nice guy. Um, and so we get he's got a great intro on three. And four, that continues over with, I mean, he goes from like one billboard to the other and talks to the workers there and none of them like him and he doesn't like any one of them. Um, but it gives you a sense. We, we get the story in those two pages because we see the, um, actually I think it's three, four and five where we, we find out what the billboards are going to say and what the basis of the story is. Um, and then the other, one of the things I, really loved about this writer was he had solid scene endings. When you get to the end 
like for the for example, if we're on page five, the end of that scene, uh, Dixon says, you know, fuck me. And then he takes out his cell phone and presses Willoughby, and then that cuts right to the Willoughby house. And Willoughby says, Dixon, you goddamn asshole, I'm in the middle of my goddamn Easter dinner. So, I mean, there's just no way you're going to turn this film off. There's just no way you're going to look away. It just keeps you, it drags you in every, at the end of every scene, you want to see the next scene at the end. And that develops and envelops you and keeps you going from, for, for most of the script, I think, um, so I, I really thought the the, the the technique in these pages was awesome, just incredible. And um, page yeah, the, the, I think I think that I was looking at the uh, actual length of the movie now, and because it's an eighty-five page script, mm-hmm. and the movie is an hour and fifty-five minutes, mm. so there's only about a ten-minute discrepancy between the two, mm-hmm. which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, because the economy of the writing and, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost got an action movie feel to it in terms of how quickly it gets in and yes. out of what this yeah. is about. Yes. You know, um, that's really, I mean, that's really unusual for, for a, a picture to do that and, and be picked up by the studios and all of that. I mean, they, they, they usually want, you know, longer yeah. and they also want character stuff and all of that. So, it's, I mean, I was really kind of impressed with just how the writer just so quickly didn't waste any time with backstory and ghosts and all of it. It's all just right there in front of you in five pages. You know exactly what's going to be happening. You know? Yes, yes. And there's twists and turns and all that during the middle. But um, but I was very impressed with, with that approach and how crisply it just all happened. Now, now, for, for for a question to you guys, did you see the film before you read the script, or or the other way around? I saw the film first. Yeah, saw the other first. Way around, yeah. Okay, because um, that that is that's a I when I read the script when I finished the script, I was eager to see the film, mm-hmm. which is also interesting because obviously I've just read the script. I know you know it's not Columbo, but I know how it ends, <laughs> and but I still wanted to see it because. The way it was presented, like like Mark, you said, it, there was such a every, every scene is punched. Every the you know the last the last shot of every scene in it mm-hmm. is the first shot of the next scene. It's mm-hmm. like we're, we're 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 let's keep going. And yeah, uh, I wanted to see the movie because of that, and yeah. that that doesn't always happen. That speaks so highly of the writing, um, and of course, uh, McDonough has done in Bruges and Southern Psychopaths. And he's done it. He doesn't have a lot of credits as a writer, but he's got some pretty good ones. So um, the guy's a great storyteller. Um, I totally, I can honestly see that. We're reading the script and then wanting to see the film. I would be interested. It would have been interesting to see Mildred, uh, you know, become alive as Francis McDormand rather than the other way around. So that would have been an interesting exercise. Did you get a sense of Mildred, from reading the script, did when I mean, did, was she clear enough for you when you saw her as Frances McDormand? I thought that was a brilliant choice, by the way. Yeah, in a weird way, actually, I think that was almost um, like a trick mm. because you know, with Frances McDormand, you get you get a Frances McDormand, mm-hmm. and she's got range, but you get kind of a prickly mm-hmm. lady. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, even even like Fargo, whatever, even you know, Fargo, um, almost famous. You get a Frances McDormand. Mm-hmm. The Dix, the, the 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 Mildred in the script, she's not exactly a cipher, but she's definitely more of a um, like a representation of a person. Mm-hmm. 
you know, she, she has, you know, sort, sort of what, uh, what Jeff was saying. We don't get, we don't spend too much time with her ghost. Later on, there is one very, very specific scene that is the entire ghost laid out. But, but yeah, I, I think that within the script, Mildred is, um, she's definitely our conduit through the story. But in the movie, Frances McDormand makes her more than that. She owns that. She owns that role, as she does with most of the roles she does. Uh, she was nominated, I think, for that. Yeah, for that too. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's excellent in the film. The, the film, it all, it just all in all, besides, I mean, it started with a great script. Um, and you can, t- <coughs> you can tell why people wanted to make this film. It's just really, <coughs> excuse me, excruciatingly well done. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to page seven. I just wanted to mention on this page, I love the interaction between the desk sergeant and Red. Let me read a little bit of the dialogue if I can stop coughing. Hold on a second. Let me mute my microphone and cough. I love editing. Um, so the desk sergeant says, he's talking to Red, and the desk sergeant says, uh, you want me to explain the legal ramifications, a little punk like you, and don't call me Cedric, Red. Ain't contravening no laws on propriety. Ain't contravening no laws on any fucking thing. I checked all this up. Dust Sergeant, oh yeah, where'd you check all this up? Red, in a book. Dust Sergeant, which book, genius? Red, book called Suck My Ass, It Ain't None of Your Business. Um, to me, that's, I mean, that's what, how you talk to your friends. That's how you talk to, you know, if you're angry with your family, that may be what you're saying to them. That's where it came to me that this is very much uh, a, a group of people who live in a small town, who know each other, who probably grew up together. Um, who have old uh, wounds and and are creating new ones, and so the whole um, the whole thing about the, um, uh, the 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 closeness of the tightness of the, the scene. So, hi Michelle, you're back. Um, it really comes out in that because the dialogue is so good in that scene. It just makes you wanna. Well, nobody likes the police in this story. Right, right. Well, everybody but, hates the police force. But you know what's funny is Willoughby in, in a scene coming up. Uh, you con- he contravenes that. I think when he taught, well, we'll get to that, but remember that point because I think that's a really important point. Um, and then on page eight, what, what I, again, what my note that I had is I see all these characters as being very strong and be- being very well differentiated. Um, there's shades of, there's shades of, uh, you know, you don't, you don't like the police, but you don't necessarily hate the police. I guess you, I guess you don't like Dixon a lot, but Willoughby doesn't come across as being such a dick. You know, he comes across as being a guy who's struggling with, uh, with his, with his job and with, uh, you know, a, an, unre- an unsolved murder that certainly must have bothered him. Um, anybody who experiences this kind of violence in a small town, it has to have ramifications and impact. Um, so then on nine, um, I, I found this interesting. I didn't notice in the, this in the movie. Did you guys notice this where Dixon says, ain't nobody never goes down that road anyways unless they got lost or they're retards. That's kind of what Frances McDormand says. Uh, I think it, it was earlier when she says that. But, um, I mean, that it's, right. almost, it's almost like they're shades of each other, you know, that they're the same character but di- in, on different missions. Uh, right. did, did that strike anybody? Right. Yeah. And they're, on a mission, and they're on a mission at the end, you know? Right. To get, you mean together, yeah. Absolutely. Right. I, I think, yeah, I think this is definitely uh, one of those things that must have been developed in the rewrites is to, is to set them on a, uh, 
if if you can have such a thing on a convergent and yet parallel course, mm-hmm. like you know, t- to say that that Dixon and Mildred um, are both going on journeys and then their paths will cross, mm-hmm. and I think I think lines like that, like establishing commonality. Uh, I mean, if if you had that in the first draft, then you were prescient. But otherwise, that's that's definitely something you work on when you're polishing something. Absolutely. Yeah, so on page 10, we meet uh, Dixon and his mother. Um, he lives with his mom. He's he's an interesting character. I mean, I I can't say I liked him, but um, he he struggles with the same things that we all struggle with, which are your opinions and your attitudes and uh, your, the feeling. I think that in today's, uh, uh, you know, very uh, divided world, this is a little microcosm of that theory, that, um, that theme that there's people of, you know, extreme uh, feelings and emotions that are just on opposite sides of the aisle. And uh, I thought that, I thought him and McDor- you know, like he lives with his mother, she has a family, but she's got a very dysfunctional world. You know, her, uh, her husband, she's divorced, you know, the, the kid, her son is, um, you know, going through that stage where his mother's embarrassing him because of the billboards. And so it, it's really, I, I'm just astounded by this guy's economy, his, uh, uh, his insight into how to get the best out of your characters with a few lines. And so I think that continues on page 10. Um, also on the top of the page, Mildred gives you the whole story. Uh, well, my daughter Angela, she got abducted. She got raped and murdered seven months ago. On this some self same Stetcher Road here, unfortunately to me, I mean to me, it seems like the local. I mean, she just she gives you the whole storyline, and you're just going. And we're hungry for that information by this time because he has led us down this path, and we want that information. But it's not too soon, and it's not too late to take advantage of the story, um, which again I thought was wonderful. Um, on page eleven, um, you know, we get we get the billboards, um, and then. Uh, we we get uh, the visit from Willoughby to Mildred's house, and the only the scene is basically Willoughby pulls up outside Mildred's poor clapboard house. From here, we can see that the billboards puncturing uh, dusty horizon are only a mile away. So this is very close to where her daughter was murdered, uh, and it's also close to the billboards. Uh, Mildred sees Willoughby from the kitchen window as he knocks. She opens the door. Willoughby says, "Can we talk?" And then. They cut the scene, and then they, they it goes out to Mildred's garden, which is a really, really nice uh, transition, but it's so lightning fast. It just – there's no – there's nothing in this script I would have cut out. I, I mean, at least up to these 15 pages. I didn't read the entire script, but wow, what a – what a great writing sample this is! Um, yeah, and actually, that that, that shot on on eleven, uh, scene page eleven, and they've got it numbered to scene seventeen. I believe that's the first time, as far as establishing where things are in relationship to everything else, right. that the billboards are visible from Mildred's home, and right. we've established in dialogue, not just from being observant, in dialogue, that nobody goes down that street. Right. So, who are those billboards there for? Mm-hmm. Well, who can see those billboards? Mildred can see those billboards. Yep, and that's the. Why did she put them there? Because she's reminding herself. Because right. as we later find out, her guilt about the situation. She's angry at the people of that town mm-hmm. that haven't resolved this. She's mm-hmm. angry at the sheriff, and and I mean, on so many levels, like this is not necessarily. I mean, it, it's not overt because nobody says it, but they're they're definitely laying this thing that it's like everybody in the town is is kind of despicable kind of prickly let's not say despicable except for willoughby willoughby seems to be a fine upstanding guy and he 
is the focus of her hostility. Her because anger. how can how can he, how can everybody think he's a good guy when he hasn't fixed this thing? Right. Well, her anger is is you know against everything, like you're saying. It it isn't focused on Willoughby. But he's the focus of her wrath as far as solve this crime. But she's just saying to herself, I need this to be over with. I need, I need cloture on this. I need to go, I need this to go away. And the only way that's going to happen is for somebody to tell me who murdered my daughter, which isn't the case because at the end of the movie, she gets a different type of cloture from uh, working with Dixon, which is, I had my issues with the ending. I, I, I freely admit I didn't love the cathartic moments that either one of them had. Um, but I think they're, they're well set up in the script and I think they're possible. I just didn't particularly like them that much. I thought, I thought it was a little bit abrupt. Yeah. My head's, my head's going. I just wanted to say one thing about the broader picture of the writing. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is something I talk about a lot with people is that is as writers, you know, screenwriting is a collaborative art. Mm-hmm. TV even more than features. Mm-hmm. And writers are always in danger of having their stuff adulterated, morphed, right? Right. And Alfred Hitchcock was notorious um, for when he delivered a film, he would only leave about six to eight hundred feet of film for the studio to screw around with, <laughs> because he would he would he knew that everybody who had 30 or 40 or 50,000 feet of film end up ended up, you know, I mean, that's why, that's why they invented director's cuts because the directors are always so pissed off. Right. <laughs> um, so he would edit in the camera and they would never have enough footage. So if they ever wanted to redo the ending of one of his movies, they'd have to go into reshoots. It would all be very, way, way too expensive. So it really would piss off the studios that he did that, but that's how he protected himself mm-hmm. as a director. Mm-hmm. Writers. That's, that's what, story structure and writing does for a writer or a creative producer. I absolutely agree. It saves you. It's not going to, it's no guarantee. If they're going to turn everyone into robots, they're going to do it. and There's nothing you can do about it. But you at least have a a leg to stand on to say, okay, you start pulling this thread, the whole sweater is going to come apart. And that's on you, not on me as the writer, because I've got this so tight that you can't pull on these damn threads. All right, let's go to jump over to page 12. Um, this is where I thought the script really got interesting. Up to this point, everybody's kind of a very, a very much of a type. But here, you start to shift away from Mildred as being the good guy here, and you go to Willoughby because he's basically saying, well, first of all, he says, I have cancer, um, which makes you sympathetic toward him. And then second of all, he basically gives the reason why they can't find this guy, whoever killed uh, Mildred's daughter, and we and I come away with that is she's being unreasonable, she's being emotionally unreasonable, which is uh, you know she's it's a mo- she's a mother she's in pain, but she's blaming the wrong person for this, and that's where I really think that that scene on page thirteen um, really brings that to a to a head when they start to talk to each other uh, as opposed to other people about this, um, and I thought that was really great. I, like I said, I. You know, you 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 want you want to dislike Willoughby. You really want to hate him because of what happened. What you know, you were following Mildred. We're following the main character, but at the same time, she's not being reasonable uh, about you know solving the crime. Um, and then on thirteen, um, 
you know, 13, 14, and 15, I didn't really have that much, uh, that many notes. Did you guys have uh, anything you wanted to, to no. bring? The introduction of James, the Peter Dinklage character, is important because he becomes <clears throat> instrumental later in the film uh, w- where when she burns down the police station, he's the one that um, – He's the one that doesn't he save her or pull her away or or see yeah, her? Yeah, and, and he covers for her too. Right. And so but it, it's kind of cute because he's it, it's a really it's a it's an enormously gratifying scene because he's you know, he's hitting on her <laughs> and uh and she recognizes it and again that's that small town uh you know uh milieu that they try to enforce on this film i think very successfully is you know there's people in this town that you've known for years and years and years and uh and and so this is another this is another one of those characters dinklage didn't have a lot to do in the film but i thought his role was 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 pretty important and so they introduce him here and that's where where they're playing pool is it a pool house a pool uh yeah, a bar. It's just, yeah, it's it's a bar that's got pool tables. It's it's kind of that that small town tavern. Love those things. Yeah, yeah. And actually, Mark, one of the things that we we discussed that if you haven't read the whole script, and I said that there's a slight, it's not a, a difference. It's just a a matter of interpretation. But the catharsis in the film that you're not entirely comfortable with, but you can see it. Mm-hmm. I don't really see it in the script, oh. and, and, and in a different way. Like I don't see any of these people becoming a good guy. I see that it's more about a decline, and and I think I think the and I, I mean and Jeff, correct me if if you if you think differently, but as the script progresses, they all become this inevitable thing, and there isn't really a, a catharsis or a flip for for any of the characters. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's it's just a slide, and and for me, that was what made the the script especially really moving. Um, when I say catharsis, I'm not talking about that the characters changed. I'm talking about the fact that they're working together at the end of the movie to do something else. And I I had a problem accepting that given their history, given that they both try to kill each other basically at some point, I, I didn't I didn't find that believable. And that was my one criticism of this film is it feels like it's too abrupt that they suddenly become friends, but maybe in retrospect, if I'm thinking of these characters as being a big family, a big dysfunctional family. I go through this with my family, you know, uh, I'm not talking to my brother right now, but next week I will kind of thing. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's a fairer assessment, but that's what I meant by catharsis. Um, that, that Mildred and Dixon are working together at the end of the movie to solve this or not. No, they're not working to solve this. I, I won't, we won't spoil it. But anyway, I, I think, I think either the script or the movie is such a wonderful experience. Um, but both of them together for writers especially, uh, for people who, who can sit there and just wonder at how, when, I, when am I ever going to get to this level? Because um, this, is, this is pretty damn good. I, I, think it, I think it's a 9 out of 10 as far as a script and perhaps a, an 8 out of 10 as a movie. Um, but, wow, wonderful. Um, good choice, Toby. I'm glad we did this. I'm glad you, you pushed me to, to do this one. So. Well, I, I like pushing you around, Mark. <laughs> Jack, you got to get in line because Michelle's Michelle's at the head of that line right now. So it's <laughs> all right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna uh, wrap it up here. We've been uh, we've been, we've had a great time uh, with uh, Plot Points podcast with uh, with uh, Jeff 
uh, Lyons, Michelle Manu, and of course, Mr. Toby Walwork. Um, I would like to remind you all that uh, we have some events coming up. You can find the links in the show notes. The, uh, the other place to go for information is ocscreenwriters.org or ocfilmandtv.com or .org. And uh, those are the OC Film and TV uh, website is for our Wednesday events primarily. And OC Screenwriters is for our Claim Jumper events, which we have to charge money for because we get charged uh, quite a bit per seat. But it includes lunch, and it's got some great speakers. And uh, those are Saturdays, and then the, the Wednesday events are at, um, at C3 Vape and Coffee. Um, so there's a lot of things happening with OC Screenwriters. Um, so keep if you sign up for the newsletter on ocscreenwriters.org, you'll get all the information from both events because uh, that's where we, I send out newsletters for the Wednesday and for the Saturday events. Plus, if anything uh, comes our way regarding our partners like Final Draft, we're we're uh, partners with Final Draft on a lot. Of, we give away a lot of their software at these events, and uh, they're great friends of ours and great supporters. Um, guys, thank you so much for uh, for being here and and for your insight and uh, good cheer. Um, I hope we can do this again really soon. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, Michelle, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're you're wonderful. Thanks, I, I guys. If you wanna, I'll put links to Michelle and Jeff's uh, websites in the show notes. But Michelle, mention where people can find or because uh, you, you do you still do private lessons, right? Oh yes, yeah, I do oh, uh, yeah. for both men and women. Right. Um, yeah, in Costa Mesa, rent space at Shuyukan, and um, yeah, I'm on Facebook. That's the easiest way to get over me. Okay. And then Jeff, uh, where where are you most? What what would you like to tell people about where to find you or what to do as far as uh, you know? Jeff, uh, in case I, I I tend to downplay it because he's tending to downplay it, but Jeff is a wonder, writes wonderful books about process. And uh, as you heard earlier, he's he's working with the Producers Guild for is this the seventh year, Jeff? Did you say? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know that's that's saying something when. Because producers are probably the prickliest of the uh, of uh, the 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 above the line people we work with, and if Jeff can make those people smile and and get in line, I'm just I'm just in awe of that. Um, it blows my lights out. They keep asking me back. I, well, <laughs> it shouldn't. You're you're really good. We keep asking you back. So I mean that not that that, that, that blows my lights out too. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Especially since I'm getting to know you, and I really don't like you as much as I used to. But um, oh my, feeling, feeling, feelings mutual. <laughs> There's a lot of love in this room. It's, it's over on my side of the room. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, the love is in the air, right? We're in the ether here. But uh, all right, guys, uh, thank you so much, Toby. Uh, as always, you're you're a great partner, and uh, I love the insight that you're that you're unusual and. Uh, weird mind at times throws up. All right. So for, for myself and my uh, co-hosts, uh, this is plot point pod plot points podcast. We, uh, we love our dead radio audience. If you have any questions um, or comments, you can call us at nine nineteen scripts, go to the websites, go to our Facebook pages uh, to all our listeners and to everybody on the planet. Be inspired, do good work. Thank you. 